Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome, welcome one and all to episode 17 of the Push Start Podcast. I have a great show lined up for all of you today. We're going to be talking about Avengers, which has just come out. We're going to be reviewing the reviews of Avengers. That will be probably one of the larger sections of the show. Then we're also going to be talking a little bit about The Witcher, some WB Games and Gotham Knights details, both two separate entities, which is very exciting on both fronts. Also, the RTX 3000 series of cards was just announced. Now, I know, to my understanding, uh, a lot of my fan base is not super huge into the PC tech space, and that's totally fine, but we're going to be breaking it down very simply for you. Maybe try to get more of you involved. I'm not going to try to sell you on getting a PC, but it's... Probably the right move with next-gen consoles if you have the budget. We'll talk a little bit more about that as well. And then finally, last but not least, there is also some cyberpunk. A bit of an idea I've been teetering on. We're going to kick off the show. Now, as always, I'm trying to improve this. So my next big step is to make sure that I remember to put timestamps in the videos. So that way you can navigate to the sections you're interested in. Keep an eye out for that. Now... On to the intro. We're going to get into one of our first sponsors. Not really. I wish. That'd be exciting. But our first sponsor is the DeMarco Dude official Discord channel. You can check it out if you're interested. It will be linked at the top of the description below. Uh, there's a great community there. A lot of people. Conversations get weird sometimes. <laughs> I will say that much. But I'm active there. I'm always looking for feedback. And of course, the other resource as well is my Twitter, also linked down below. You can check out there. I'm always looking for feedback, some new ideas, video topics, especially during the slower moments that we have where there's not much about Bethesda. You'll notice Bethesda was absent from my introduction of topics. That's because there's not too much going on there. There's a lot of silence since Gamescom occurred, and that's no surprise. I guess we could talk a little bit about why that is, but... There's no information, and we likely won't see anything until the earliest, the earliest possible. And again, I don't know if this will be the case. Take it, you know, don't don't get excited. But the earliest possible time we'll see anything from Bethesda would likely be the Game Awards. Again, I'm leaning more towards E3 2021 as the event when Starfield is officially revealed. I would not expect it to appear itself at appear itself be shown off at the game awards it's possible not plausible in my opinion at the very least so that's why and because of that fact they're not going to talk about it so there you go now the first idea i want to toss by everybody is cyberpunk's coming out fairly soon and one idea of some videos i've been teetering the idea of is as whether or not to do a guide a layman's guide if you will to cyberpunk 2077 and essentially what i mean by that is we'll turn around and we'll discuss cyberpunk at a very basic level i myself don't have the greatest understanding of the game i know what it is i know about it but there's a lot of elements that are lost on me what is the leveling like what are the dialogue is the dialogue like excuse me what are the different factions in the game some of those lore reasons what the heck is Night City and what is all you know what is going on with Night City what has gone on with Night City because of course Cyberpunk is a very 
big universe falling back to a tabletop game and there's tons and tons of lore there so we'd be exploring game mechanics lore all of these different bits at a very basic surface level in order to get as many people engaged and as many people interested as possible and the hook would be that it's coming from the perspective of well Someone who's on that same page, someone learning it for the first time that's not trying to overwhelm themselves with information as a lot of lore videos often dive way too deep that, than what you're interested in. And of course the game will definitely, the game is going to be tailored to explain a lot to new players. So we're not going to get that involved and then if you want to you can obviously explore in the game. Anyway, I've been thinking about it. Let me know if that's something that you would be interested in down in the comment section. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on that. So, the big thing, the big thing that has happened this week is no doubt the launch of Marvel's Avengers. A very, it's a controversial title, isn't it? It was, since it was announced, a lot of people were looking at it thinking, uh, I don't know if this is for me, it's just not, there's a lot of elements in the game, there's a lot of systems that don't really mesh with me that well and based on what I've seen I haven't played the beta I've watched a lot of the gameplay footage I've seen a lot of impressions of it based on what I've seen nothing in particular truly stood out to me as this grand experience that what people might have been hoping for on the scale of excitement that a lot of might fe might have felt with either the Arkham games or maybe on the grand scale of the Avengers Cinematic Universe. People might have been looking for something... I know games and film are different, but do you understand what I'm saying? That, that large, really big, just story experience packed with character development and tons of fan service and lots of uh, big encounters where you feel like you are an Avenger. Instead, we got a game that at least from the demo, and we'll talk about the actual reviews, but at least from the demo, people were saying it feels generic, the heroes don't feel that unique from one another. If I'm playing Hulk, I feel very similar to if I'm playing Captain America, and as you can imagine, that shouldn't be the case, but that's what we had with the beta. Now, the full game has released, and I'm happy to say that a lot of it is mostly positive. I think the majority of people, upon seeing this game, want it to succeed and they want it to do well and I'm glad that that's the vibe for a game like Avengers it was just a swarm of disappointment that that might not have been the case well we're going to be taking a look at a couple reviews but let's start off with Metacritic the ever reliable Metacritic score it is currently sitting at a 73 at the time of recording a 73 meta score and a 5.7 user score so pretty much average I would say usually, you know, you have to keep in mind that with critic reviews, if let's say even it's at a 73 here, but if you were to put it on a 10 point scale for most critic reviews, I think seven is typically an average game. Whereas for me personally, when I, if I were to do a review of a game, I would probably make five a truly average game, anything above that, above average. So with critic scores, a 73 is fairly average and with users, a 5.7 is average it's more or less what i was expecting but let's get into some of the details i've pulled up a couple uh reviews three in particular uh, that each have different segments i want to highlight and ign by far i have to give credit where credit's due ign i think has written a stellar a truly 
stellar review. It's very detailed. It's very nuanced. Maybe it's just because it fits the narrative that I expected for this game. That's very much possible. And of course, one thing that I always believe is an important disclaimer to give is that any review, whether it's from your favorite content creator, independent content creator, or whether it's from a big magazine or outlet such as IGN, you have to keep in mind that this is one person's experience playing the game. It's not a field of different ideas, and so I always encourage everybody to look at as many different sources as possible to get the most accurate impression of the game, because some people will really, really love it, some people will teeter on it, and some people will outright despise it. Now, IGN, they broke their review into two separate parts, since it is technically still in progress. They broke it down into a single-player update, and then they also have a more multiplayer-focused, where they compare a little bit as well. But again, I think IGN did a really fantastic job. Let's start off with the campaign. One of the general things I've seen from most of the reviews I've read, and again, I've poured through several before recording the show, is that the campaign succeeds on most fronts, especially from a story perspective. Now, the gameplay might leave something to be desired for some. As many reviewers are noting, the gameplay doesn't have a lot of depth to it. Uh, In IGN in particular, to quote what they said, it says, quote, combat is deeper than I initially gave it credit for in the beta, if not by a whole lot. Don't get me wrong, it's a hoot to smash enemies as a Hulk, shoot them with Iron Man's rockets, and throw Thor's hammer at them alike. It's all just a bit one note. And that gets back to what I said earlier with whether you're playing as Hulk or you're playing as Captain America, they feel similar. While one might be more powerful, and of course, the general difference is Hulk will start grabbing people, whereas Tony Stark will start lasering people, and so on and so forth, Thor will throw his hammer. Uh, He continues on to say, while the enemies are not too diverse, you'll be punching a lot of robots. There are plenty of different types, and the stronger of them do demand a beatdown more tailored to their shortcomings. For example, the faster riot bots pushed me to dodge big swings before unloading on them, while enemies with shields needed powerful hits to break down their defenses. There's plenty of exciting action that makes the campaign shine, And there are more than enough intimate moments in the story. So, once again, the peak and what I think will bring a lot of people into the game would be the storytelling. Of course, Kamala Khan takes the center stage as she is newly brought into the Avengers fold. It is her coming-of-age story, and all the other characters are there working together. But there's mainly the focus on Kamala Khan, and I'm happy to say as well that most people said her story was one of the greatest, and it was it was a great tale for her shoes. It was a great introduction to the character, and a lot of people really enjoyed exploring her backstory and how she came to be and how she processes everything going on from the death of Captain America in the beginning to being brought into this over-the-top Avengers compilation-style uh, <laughs> quest. A couple other highlights that I want to point out, they do mention in this IGN review, there's a nugget of linear single-player Avengers game visible here that I really wanted to see more of. The majority of campaign missions are unique layouts tailored to the hero you're using at the time. 
Avoiding any big spoilers, scenes like running through a building under siege as Tony Stark while piecing together a makeshift Iron Man suit or exploring an old S.H.I.E.L.D. facility full of relics as Kamala appealed to me on the same level as games like Tomb Raider or Uncharted. These missions were almost always a thrill sported, supported by oodles of fun Marvel references for fans to pick up on. So there you go. Again, the campaign. And this is one of the interesting dynamics that I think comes as a result of shoehorning in this live service element to the game. Now, I also want to just step back a little bit. It does warn you before you start the game, there's two launches that you have. You have the Reassemble campaign and then the Avengers Initiative multiplayer but they do want you to play the multiplayer, and it's roughly about 10 hours or so to get through the campaign, which is a good size. I think that games are definitely those trying to boast 20 to 30 hour campaigns might be stretching it a bit too far. Uh, you know, there's the argument as to whether or not games should return to a smaller format. I'm on the side of yes, personally, I think so. Anyway, the campaign is really shine. So there's this weird separation between the two that you have to keep in mind with multiplayer versus single player especially when you start tying in live service elements especially when you make it a looter based game and we're going to be talking about the loot in the game a lot quite frankly and we'll we'll be touching on that in just a little bit but the single player is what shines and i think that a lot of companies are really prioritizing and it's something that fans need to get a hold of is the fact that companies are going to continue to prioritize the multiplayer experience they're going to continue to prioritize the battle passes the loot boxes the progression systems that incentivize buying premium currencies all of these elements that get people on board to spend money and it is worth mentioning that the microtransactions in this game are very transparent. From what I understand, it is, oh, you want this suit? It's this much money up front. You pay it, you get the suit. There's no loot boxes. There's no XP boosts. None of that garbage. There is a lot of grinding. Uh, people have mentioned that it does feel like you need to put in a lot of time in order to get the different progression systems. For example... Uh, one article stated that in order to get through one character's track, they gained nearly four levels within. So each character has a battle pass like system tied to them and you perform challenges with that character in order to progress through the unlocks through the by the end of the campaign. One reviewer had stated that they were still only on sort of the fourth level out of 40, I think it is. Through the entire campaign. Now, given, you know, they're not playing as that one character the entire time, but it just goes to show that you will have to be playing the game a lot in order to get all of the unlocks you might be looking forward to. That's one of the big flaws with battle pass systems. I'm not crazy about them. I never was crazy even when they first came out. It is definitely a system that incentivizes boring play style like boring play things that you don't want to do you have to go do this in order to get these rewards as opposed to something more fun something in the game finding them in the world that sort of thing instead they have to be attached to this convoluted uh progression system now let's 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 continue with the multiplayer a little bit here we'll get into more specific details i feel like i went on a bit of a tangent there 
The multiplayer suffers a lot of a lot seemingly because of from what I have read there's no story to pull it through. Again, people are saying that the story was a driving force to continue through the campaign and to continue through the game. But once you get through those story chunks, once you get through that campaign, there's not a lot of substance there. They have three mission styles, I believe. There are villain missions, vault missions, and hive missions, which also have elite versions of them. But... The big common problem that a lot of people are mentioning is the reuse of areas, of missions, and even of bosses. It's quite a disappointment when you come to think of it, especially when this is what the end game is. Now, I actually have never found a big deal in putting in much end game. I know that's a big thing that developers are always looking for. How can we get end game content? What can we do after you finish the story? I think personally, if a story has been told and it's done, you don't need to force it to continue. In fact, in some instances, that can actually hurt your story. However, that's a different argument altogether. The, the IGN article states as follows. What's more, the flagrant reuse of content act and activities here is exhausting. And you'll start recognizing the same set of objectives building layouts, and optional points of interest almost instantly. Sometimes things are even reused within a single mission. Within a single mission, things are redone. The coat of paint around them may change from a Utah desert to a green forest to a snowy tundra, but that means essentially nothing when it comes to actually playing through them and doing exactly the same thing you did before. That's harsh. That is really harsh. And the problem is further exasperated when you consider the fact that the loot isn't done very well. Quote, as I wrote in both my initial review and progress based on the beta and my update after being the campaign further down this page, this loot system is just awful. It is unsatisfying, unimpactful, and worst of all, a paltry incentive to keep playing. Loot is earned and replaced at a pace that makes it almost irrelevant, making distinct buffs some, other, some items offer, such as slightly more interesting element effects like pim particles that can shrink enemies, superfluous when raising your overall power level is the primary goal. Legendary items are slightly stronger, but in no way more interesting which one of the same flaws Diablo's 3 system initially had. And the unique exotic artifacts are cool, but still largely invisible in combat outside of offering some lackluster activatable abilities. So for those of you who don't know the loot system in Avengers, you have four gear slots. I think it's four. And you can equip them and they give you some arbitrary stat boosts based on what you equip, but do not cosmetically change your character in any way. So you put these this gear on and you don't have any effect from it at all, other than knowing, well, I have plus one to this. Cool. No, it's not cool. <laughs> oh boy. I hope some more of the special mission types we continue on might offer relief in the form of much needed variety, but that proved not to be the case. Villain missions are largely the same as the more open threat areas, except with a boss fight recycled from the campaign slapped on the end. Disappointingly, these fights have barely been tweaked, aside from location. 
So fighting Abomination or Taskmaster with four heroes at once is devoid of strategy. Vaults are similarly disappointing, they drop you into a large generic area full of side tests to do before you descend into a shield base with a puzzle door to unlock for loot. That's cool, until you realize the optional tasks are basically identical for every vault laid out differently depending on the region. And the puzzle door seems to be literally identical every time apart from a randomized combination. And worse, the loot behind it is rarely exciting. As we mentioned before, the loot in the game is uninspiring. They do mention how it feels like there's just this arbitrary chain that's pulling you to the next objective, but the carrot on the stick, which is the loot that you earn, does not carry as much weight that it should. It does not make you want to continue games like Warframe. Those are games that follow a similar system, or Destiny even. They follow a similar system where when you get a new item, you want to play another level to see how it works, and you feel a bit of a power increase. But with the gear that you can unlock in Avengers, it seems as though there's not too much pulling you through other than the stat bonuses. And even then, it's not as if you're getting a weapon that fires slightly differently, or a weapon that maybe has this new unique effect maybe you haven't come across before. There's a lot of maybes that are being thrown in. Unfortunately... Avengers system between the same levels as well as the lackluster loot does not foster a reason to continue to keep going. Now it might seem like IGN has been rather negative on this. Again, I did say that this story was well done from IGN's perspective, but they do say, and here's just one short quote before we move on to a new article, that there's a, a fun spark here that can be fostered in time after enough updates. So. Once again, the live service train follows by mentioning how, well, you know, we'll have updates for the game and we could fix the game over time and we'll add more because it's live service. And I think that's unacceptable. First of all, you should be launching the game, even though the story is really great. If you want to tack on more multiplayer elements, that's where it gets a little bit tricky because someone can buy this game, enjoy the 10-hour campaign, not even care about the multiplayer, but they're happy that they have a good Avengers story and that will be worth the $60 to them. And if you're one of those people, I say more power to you. For me, if you're going to include a multiplayer aspect, what I think I would have rather saw is the Avengers campaign come out, work fully on that, and then in an update later on, tack in the multiplayer elements say yes we have an update that's coming after launch where you can team up with a bunch of friends you get an avengers squad together and then you could go out and do all these different missions and that would have given them time hopefully to diversify the missions maybe even make some that are very heavily story driven of course it can still follow that looter shooter element and if you don't have the good loot to keep you going I don't know if there's much of a point, but at this, at least this way you can have more compelling reasons to jump into the different mission types. Now, there's one last thing that we have to talk about Avengers, and that is the bugs. The bugs. Every game is suffering from bugs as they get bigger and bigger, and Avengers is no exception. Uh, in the IGN review, they say, Finally, while I already brought up bugs in my last update, good gravy, do I need to mention them again? 
Frankly, Avengers is a mess when it comes to technical glitches. While I've only had one crash to the PS4 dashboard in all my time playing, an improvement from the three I had in the beta, there are constant smaller issues. I've had faces horribly deformed, the audio cut out or repeat nonstop, characters floating around instead of walking or flying, and frequent frame rate drops and lags in busy fights. Once, I queued into a 38 power mission only to have enemy every enemy instead be level 1, making it comically easy. There's still little outright game breaking here, the servers for example seem to be holding up alright, but this is one of the roughest major game launches I've seen in a while. They close off by saying, despite my rapidly dwindling enthusiasm for Marvel's multiplayer, I'm trudging forward at least until I finish the main mission chain of the Avengers initiative operation. Not that doing so is very entertaining. Keep in mind, I really enjoyed the 10 hour campaign in its own, and you can read my full thoughts on that below. The bugs are what we're going to start addressing. This is unacceptable, and I don't care. There is one another review that we're going to point out that highlights they're okay with the bugs, but we should not tolerate this. I understand that QA is difficult, especially with the time frames that games have, especially with the scale that they're on. Quashing, squashing all of the bugs possible is not going to happen, and there will always be issues. But we need to make developers understand that it should be as little as possible. They should be as minimal as possible. And that's not even all of the bugs. I've heard that the, it, they, the frame rates and the actual stability of the game gets worse the farther you go into the story. The more you play the game, the worse it gets. Uh, I saw, you know, Mr. Matty Plays put up a short video of just the world entirely freaking out and flicking, flickering textures. And I think he did say at one point that his experience in terms of the playability has been pretty lousy just because of the amount of things that he's encountering. Then uh, most of the reviews I've seen, there was problems. A good friend of mine, Subtly Explosive, he mentioned on Twitter he's enjoying the game. However... One of the major issues he had was he didn't progress at all through the battle pass. He did several challenges. He should have earned several different ranks, but he was only he was stuck at rank two on the battle pass progression system per character. And thankfully, thankfully, Square Enix did send out a reply to that saying, hey, we fixed this. It might take some time, a couple hours before it retroactively fixes itself. But we did. We did fix that issue so that's good i'm glad that they're on top of things addressing it especially during the fact that at least in the u.s holiday weekend we do need to make sure that developers understand this isn't acceptable for example psu.com uh playstation universe they stated that let's be real Many online games are unplayable during the first week after launch, so by comparison, Avengers is in remarkably good shape, and none of this can distract from the fact that Marvel Avengers is one badass game. All of these issues can be quickly patched out, and the bottom line is that Marvel's Avengers has good bones. No. No. No, PSU. Bad. Bad PSU. We do not sit down and accept that games can launch unplayable. So just because other games launch unplayable, when another game launches more playable, that's good. No. No. Bad PSU. 
The fact of the matter is that when games launch unplayable after during their first week, that is truly unacceptable. Truly unacceptable, especially when you have the audacity to charge $60 for that game to consumers who pre-ordered it, who are supporting your game before it's come out, when people are getting engaged, supporting your title, and they are you they are they are giving you money for that and then you give them a broken experience no when a game release is slightly less broken when it's still playable but suffering from numerous glitches that is more tolerable but still unacceptable and we need to make sure that developers know they cannot continue to release these games without investing the proper amount of time into qa because the more that we buckle, and the more that we cave, and the more that we say, well, you know, these games did launch unplayable, and this one isn't unplayable, still buggy, but not bad. Then we open up the floodgates to allow developers to continue to push that and continue to sell us unfinished products that haven't been properly tested. We don't want that. So let's continue to reinforce the fact, let's not give it passes the way PSU has here. Let's continue to make sure that we assert the fact that we want a finished game. We want a finished game, we want it to be polished, we want it to be clean, and then we will give you a lot of praise that you deserve. And I will happily give you my $60, especially, this is why I, I kind of lost my train of thought a while back, but especially when game prices are going to start going up to $70 potentially. If you're going to start raising your prices, that means you need to make better experiences. I understand that they're bigger, but a price increase also means that you need to offer us more. And some people might say, well, they are offering us more. They're saying that they're giving us bigger game worlds and the campaigns last longer. Blah. And that is true, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, but you can't just say, well, the game's longer and there's more There's more to do in it. You also need to make sure that if you're taking more money, people are going to be nervous. This is the other side of the argument. People are going to be more nervous if they are getting charged more per game. They're going to be more watchful over, okay, is this game complete? Does this game have the features that make it worth? Even though $10 for some people is a lot, for some people it's not so bad. It's, you want to make sure, even from the developers, to, to gain trust with your audience, you want to make sure that you have something that's been properly tested and something that works the way it's advertised. Otherwise, you 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 build mistrust in your audience. You you while some of the bugs and glitches might be funny, you you make consumers wary. And especially if they are shelling out more money, that gives them all the more all the more right to be especially skeptical when games come out broken or buggy or unpolished or unfinished, that sort of thing. So I think I've talked about Avengers for quite long enough. We're getting into the 30-minute mark here, over the 30-minute mark. There was one more review that I was going to point out from Destructoid because they actually had the opposite reaction. I'll fly through this one quite a bit. But Destructoid had a very different opinion where they said, even at 10 plus hours, the campaign is slow going. It might be ages until you get to play the hero you want, who may or may not actually meet the fantasy of said hero. The drama of the tired, outlawed superhero angle is not enough to justify this approach. For as many approval bodies as this likely had to go through at Marvel, Proper, and Disney, it might be the best that Square Enix could do, though, given the circumstances. 
when the game opens up a bit and allows you to embark on the sandbox mission, it gets way more fun. There's more room to screw around and strut your super stuff, and you aren't stopped every minute or so by dialogue or cutscenes that show cool confrontations, but don't actually let you play them outside of QTEs. The Destiny comparison became more apparent the more I played, as there's even objectives like protect the area with restricted respawns and other centric goals tied to it. Uh, and then they go on to say that the characters do feel unique. The more that you go into it, the more that you have systems that can differentiate themselves. So they do note that you, at some points, you'll never use basic combos anymore as you progress through their pretty vast skill trees. Uh, however, they also do say that in between the sessions where you do get unique things and unique mechanics, things fall flat when everything you're fighting, meaning the enemies, are very samey. Take all of this what you will. Again, I encourage everybody to try to look at a variety of different sources and gather an opinion from that if you're looking into buying it. I myself, this isn't something that particularly interests me even for the Avengers story. Maybe a $20 purchase if I'm just picking up this game for the story, given the fact that I wasn't crazy on the gameplay. It didn't really sell me. Uh, from what I've saw, maybe it's one of those things where if you get your hands on it, it's much better. And if you have been playing Avengers and you're watching this, please let me know your thoughts down below. I'm, I'm excited. Maybe it will influence my purchase. It seems like a lot of people are genuinely having fun when it comes to the story. And I'm a very, very big story person. So if it tells a good tale, then I will much more heavily consider it. But for the time being, I don't know if the repetitious gameplay and the similar combat and the lack of enemy variety is really what would grab me into a game like this. So there you go. That is it for the Avengers discussion. Uh, again, I do would love to hear your thoughts down below. So let me know if you've been playing the game, enjoying it. What are your biggest critiques, if any? I'm very excited to read and hear what you guys have to say about it. So let's move on to The Witcher. The Witcher is now getting free next-gen upgrades. That is incredibly exciting. And I cannot wait to see what these games can possibly look at. They're coming free in 2021. And, well, let me rephrase. Free if you already own the game. That's a very important uh a very important footnote there. If you have the game already on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC, you will be able to upgrade it to a new, higher resolution uh, version of the game with the expansions, all the extra content. They will include technical performances, improvements, as well as ray tracing, and my god, it's going to look beautiful with ray tracing, and faster loading time. So no longer, if, like myself, you play on Death March difficulty and end up dying quite a bit, no longer will you have to sit through five minutes of loading screens in order to get back into the universe. Very exciting indeed. And I'm glad, I hope that people wonder why everyone praises CD Projekt Red so much. Oh, CD Projekt Red fanboys, they only say good things. But that's because CDPR really has only good publicity surrounding them. I mean, you could look at a couple elements. Of course, they have some negative aspects of the company. There was a big scandal with Crunch going on at CDPR. There is also some people might look unfavorably upon the multiple delays that Cyberpunk has had. I myself think that they announced the game way too early. They should have waited. 
before announcing it, so they didn't have to suffer. I, are they at two or three now? I can't even remember. I think it might be three delays. And they're saying that they're committed to the most recent release date, which is excellent, and I'm glad that they are. But they also have comments that say they're not sure the game is exactly where they want it to be. So maybe there might be another one. Yikes. That's not fun. Although, I don't think people would really be mad if there was another delay. People wouldn't be happy, but they'd say, okay, you're making the game better underneath that veil of crap. <laughs> God damn it. People would be frustrated, but they, they would understand. Generally, the community in regards to this, I don't know how you would respond other than being excited about it, but generally people have been responding ex Extremely positively to this announcement. Uh, some people are offering some feedback to it. For example, some users are saying try to improve the physics of Roach specifically and try to make all language packages available to people with consoles. Some of these little quality of life features would be excellent. I don't see them changing, but they would be nice to see if, if CDPR did dive in and try to make them more fluent in some of the areas. They also, you know, people are saying, thank you so much. Can't wait to see it and take it on an all-new adventure. Uh, the biggest thing that will limit as much fun as that could be, I wager Reds will most probably limit their update due to technical bugs, optimization, and graphics. I wouldn't set my hopes too high for new content, though privately, I'd gladly be wrong. It's not new content. Um, and then, of course, people are saying, oh, I hope more companies do this. Oh, I really want to uh, get, you know, Skyrim improved or Dragon Age Inquisition improved. That's actually something I would love to say. Dragon Age Inquisition as we wait for Dragon Age 4. That's a good idea. Bioware. Bioware. Take note. I know you're not listening, but take note of that. I would happily, happily get back into Inquisition again. Might even stream Inquisition. I haven't played that game in a long time. Maybe I'll do some Inquisition live stream. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. So that's about it. There's, there's not too much here other than they are upgrading to the next gen of consoles. Very exciting. And if you own the game, you're getting it for free as well with the DLC. All right. So Warner Brothers has been in the news lately and for very good reasons. I'm glad that they have been. We have two articles, one revolving around Gotham Knights that we will get into later on, but also we have the sale of WB. For those of you who don't know, there was rumors that were spreading around that said that AT&T, yes, AT&T owns the Warner Brothers gaming division. I know, weird. But they were up for sale. Interested parties included Take-Two, Electronic Arts, Activision, and Microsoft also was tipping its hat in the ring for a potential buy of this game. Now, this is no longer the case, and I am so glad that is true because I really do believe that with the Arkham games, as long as it continues to be managed in a similar style, there is a new CEO, which we'll talk about, but as long as WB Games gets the freedom that they've had to build what they want to, to make the games they want to, then they're good. They're golden. And even for myself, I'm nervous about Gotham Knights. It doesn't look 
it's not the game I was hoping for, but it's something I'm curious about. I'm not excited, outright excited for Gotham Knights, but I'm curious, and we'll have to see how the gameplay goes with the RPG elements introduced. But I think that if you let them follow through with their artistic vision, I think that if you give developers the freedom that they deserve, then there's a much better opportunity for them to produce something worthwhile and something that will speak to the fans as opposed to something that speaks to sales. And gamers are becoming increasingly good at spotting the differences between this game was made to increase revenue or this game was made to puff up our bottom line versus this is a game that was made from the passion of the developers. We've become very good at spotting NBA 2K21 is a prime example of that. Uh, NBA 2K21 is one of the worst games of all time on Metacritic, I believe. Uh, people are going as far as to make sure that there are games on top of it. I don't support that practice per se, but there was news that people started actually upvoting the true worst game on Metacritic in order to make sure that NBA, uh, NBA Madden, Madden, if I've been saying NBA, I mean Madden 2K21 is now the worst voted game of all time. And there was actually, really ironically, there was a post that someone had put out saying, uh, I can't believe this is the number two game or something like that. And one of the developers responded, well, one or two is better than one. And that's just a pitiful response. Go ahead and look that up. It's, it's, it's interesting and it stirred quite a bit of controversy. But this is about WB. Again, as long as you let them do their creative vision, I don't know if they would have had the same liberty underneath Electronic Arts. Now, maybe, maybe if they were treated the same way Respawn was with Jedi Fallen Order and Titanfall, both of which are really great games. Titanfall 2 is definitely a hidden gem or a, uh, I think it deserves a lot more attention than it got, as well as Jedi Fallen Order, which apparently already has a sequel in development. It was almost right off the bat they started working on the next one because it did sell so well, and it was the acknowledgement to EA that people like single-player games. Go figure. So maybe EA, depends on how they treated them. Microsoft would have been the second studio. Microsoft is obviously trying to expand their first-party games, so maybe it would have possibly become exclusive to Xbox. That would have been disappointing, especially for PlayStation fans, given that with specifically the Arkham games, they've been getting some special treatment. That would have been an interesting shift, but that's no longer the case. AT&T is no longer entertaining a sale as the company felt WBIE, Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment, had too much growth potential to start with. This news is coming from gamesindustry.biz. They continued on by saying other factors mentioned included optimism about the prospects of WBIE's next Harry Potter game. The boost the gaming industry has seen in the light of the pandemic and a July change in management that saw AT&T COO John Stanky take over as CEO. Now, I don't know about John Stanky's history or uh, what he specializes in or what he hopes to see from the future of the company. That will play out over time, but hopefully he understands that people want superhero games and people are open to the Gotham Knights game and people are open to the idea of the Suicide Squad game. So continue and build out a Justice League game, build out a Superman game, continue to flourish as much as you can with these superhero licenses while they're popular. And they will be for some time, especially with the resurgence that comics and, and cinematic universes have had. But don't, don't force the studios again, don't force the studios to do something they don't want to. 
The article ends off, it's a very short one, but they said AT&T acquired Warner Bros. Interactive Entertainment parent Time Warner in 2018 for $108.7 billion when including Time Warner's net debt in the cost. So they were in a lot of debt. They're still in debt, which is why they were looking to sell the company. But thankfully, I'm glad that the, this 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 says a couple of good things to me. The fact that John Stanky has stepped in and he said, no, we're not selling it anymore. He's putting a lot of faith in the Harry Potter game. This is both motivating and worrying. Worrying in the fact that he might be looking at other live service titles and saying, this is what's working. This is what's making money. Microtransactions good. Uh, loot pass is good. Battle pass is great. Put those in the game. That is a bit nervous, a bit nerve wracking for me. The other side of it is they're relying a lot on these games, so maybe, and we can hope, that they're going to try to deliver the best experience that they can to gamers. And given the track record that we have in the past with Warner Brothers games, it's pretty solid. It's pretty sp solid since the release of the Arkham franchise, so I'm very excited to continue to see what continues on regarding WB Interactive. Not saying that they're doing as good as they could under AT&T, maybe a different company, you know, one that actually has interest in games and interest in comics would maybe be a little bit better, but this is a situation we're in. Anyth anyway, all good things all around. Next up, we are going to dip into the RTX 3000 series before we finish off with some new Gotham Knights details that confirm some things I've stated in the past. And also reassure me quite a bit. The 3000 series is looking to be a killer. And if you're interested in building a PC, you've ever been interested in building a PC, this is going to be the time that maybe you want to give it a bit of a closer look. The 3000 series had a stellar presentation. I'm yet to see people who genuinely frowned about it. And I think this is largely due to the power and the price point of the 3000 series. Now, if you are PC interested, one thing that I do want to highlight is the fact that you will want to make sure you wait until independent benchmarks can come out. Up until that point, we do have to watch closely, see what happens, make sure that the stats that NVIDIA is pushing, because of course, as the example that I've heard is they might test it on two games or three games, pick the best out of the two and say, yeah, it runs as, as good as this. You know, it runs and they only exemplify the peak of its performance. So, for example, maybe they play Control. In Control, it does a lot better than, say, in Far Cry 5. So they say, oh, well, it can get up to four times more powerful. But that's only because it was four times more powerful specifically with Control. Companies are going to fudge their numbers a bit to make it seem more appealing. So until independent tests come out, let's, you know, be wary of it. But again, I did say that this is something... You might want to keep an eye on especially if you're looking to invest in pcs you have the big thing for those of you who did not see it is that even the lowest end of these cars the rtx 3070 has been advertised as being just as powerful as another graphics card the 2080 ti now the 2080 ti currently from what you can buy right now is the premier enthusiast best you can possibly get graphics card and it costs maybe $1,500 to $22,000 even upwards. You know what? In fact, let's look at exactly RTX 2080 Ti price. 
Okay, so yeah, right now it's listed at $1,500. Uh, I'm not too sure if this is just the fact that it's decreased because of the announcement of cards. For those of you who don't know, there is an economy around PC parts. A lot of it is dropping because of the announcement of the new 3000 series, but they were expensive. You can now get an RTX 3070, which is just as powerful as the TI, for $500. Over $1,000 cheaper than the price of the other card. And this goes for the entire line. The RTX 3080, which is said to be up to two times more powerful, is $700. And then the top of the line enthusiast RTX 3090 is $1,500. Each of these boasts superior performance up to two times more powerful than previous generation graphics cards. So the 2070 to the 3070, the 2080 to the 3080, so on and so forth. Now, some of you might be looking at it and going, well, $500 for just the, the, the cheapest graphics card, that's the same price as probably a new console will be. And you're absolutely right. The difference is that the graphics card, the $500 graphics card, even if you get the cheaper one, is going to last you and make games look visually better for the entirety of next-gen consoles. You might buy a PlayStation 5, and if you enjoy console gaming, that is fantastic. And I'm very glad. I enjoy console gaming too. Sometimes I just want to sit back and lounge in, in uh, you know, on a couch or in a bed and just sit very far away and not right up against a screen like you do with a monitor. I'm all for that. And in fact, I still, even playing on both, prefer uh, using the controller. Every, most of the times when I play PC games, I plug my controller in. So I enjoy that aspect as well. But this, even with the RTX 3070, you're going to have a lot of advantages. The ray tracing is going to become a new standard. We have to keep that in mind that as games develop, ray tracing is going to become more popular as well as other aspects that we've been seeing. A lot of the physics that have been coming out with, for example, the Epic Games demo that we saw with the Unreal 5? 4? 5? The new Unreal demo that we just we saw a while back at the beginning of the summer, those are all things that are being powered by this new technology. And while consoles, of course, can achieve it, as we get later on in that generation and in, in the console generation, you're going to see that dwindle a lot more than you will with the 3080. And of course, if you've never built or the 3070, and of course, if you've never built a PC before, keep in mind that it could be as simple as just buying a new graphics card once you already have one. If you build one that's stable, you don't change the entire PC, you only upgrade parts of it. Now, some of the highlights of it is that the memory on the RTX 3070, eight gigabytes of GDDR6, the RTX 3080, 10 gigabytes of GDDR6X, and the 3090, 24 gigabytes, so more than double that of the 3080 of GDDR6X. All of them have a boost clock speed of 1.7, uh, 1.71 and 1.73 going from the 3090 down to the 3070. And then the core count in each of them, the 3070 has 5,888 CUDA uh, cores. The RTX 3080 has 8,704 and the RTX 3090 has 10,496. Yes, cores are very important. All in all, these cards are incredibly exciting. They are very reasonably priced for the value that you'll probably that you'll probably be getting with them, even if 
the benchmarks don't happen to be accurate that uh, that NVIDIA is showing off or the statistics that NVIDIA is showing off, even if they're not 100% and they're slightly below what, which they probably will be, what NVIDIA is advertising, these are still incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful cards. They have recently upgraded from Turing to Ampere, which incre- which increases the potential of the graphics cards with new AI capabilities, as well as many other things, ray tracing, DLSS, um, which is AI-based super sampling. And of course, if you choose to spend $1,500 on the 3090, if you're really passionate about it, that's capable of 8K gaming. I don't think you need 8K gaming. I don't think games will really feature 8K gaming. Some might. But it's going to be the rare minimum. It's like 4K gaming. I think the standard at the moment with these currencies is 2K. People are people are boasting 4K, but the standard is more 2K as getting 4K systems are pretty expensive, especially for the monitors alone can cost you upwards of $500. So 8K is a bit of a stretch. I wouldn't ever prioritize 8K ever, but 4K will quickly become the new standard these cards will be capable of that and then some. And especially if you're like me and you don't even mind playing in 2K, I don't personally see much of a difference between 2 and 4. So there's that as well. Now, on to the final bit of news that we have today. This is regarding the Gotham Knights. WB Montreal recently talked about gameplay and storytelling for its new open world superhero RPG. That RPG really is still scaring me. This is coming from PlayStation Blog. It was recently announced and it was an interview with some of the developers. There's a couple things that I want to highlight, not too much in this article, most of which I've speculated, some of which I've been correct about in the past. Uh, But they do mention that each of the four heroes, how they work. And this is one of the more interesting, this is what I was curious about regarding Gotham Knights. Uh, For example... I apologize, I'm trying to find the correct spot in the article. Mm, Here we go. Okay, so basically the way it works is that you pick a hero in your base called the Belfry. That's the, the base of operations. And you can visit the Belfry at any time to choose a different hero. So you can either choose to go with Nightwing and then you do some missions or you just free roam for a bit then you come back you pick Batgirl and then so on and so forth and the right uh Nightwing Red Hood Robin whoever you want to play as you can pick at any times and each of them have their own unique skill trees and each of them have their own unique gear and they earn their own XP as they traverse the world this is what worries me about the gameplay is that each character while you're exploring the world is going to feel a lot more generic other than the pre-prepared scenes when all the characters are together the individual interactions again one of the things that really defined the arkham games and that really pushed the story to what some of the best storytelling i personally think in games i know people have flaws all over the place with them but some of my favorite storytelling in games one of the biggest things was the fact that all of the villains interactions were centric to batman it was Batman and Mr. Freeze. It was Batman and the Penguin. However, now you're going to just have very generic banter between them. You're going to have very generic feelings towards one another. It's not going to be specific towards the character you're playing as because how could they? 
How could they possibly, on the scale of four characters, they need to make sure that they know which character you're playing as. They need to make it individually for each, situ each situation. It's just impossible. And so what you end up with are generic interactions other than the story elements that take place either, you know, in the Belfry or maybe for some missions, they'll pop up towards the end of it or you'll hear them over the intercom when they're talking with one another. But even that, if thinking about it, even that is going to be lackluster because if Nightwing is communicating with Batgirl, then... It's just going the, the the dialogue has to be written in such a way that Nightwing could also be talking with Robin, and Robin can also be talking with Nightwing from the Belfry if you're playing as Nightwing. Uh, so everything has to be written on such a generic level that these personalized character moments we saw in the Arkham series are going to be very difficult to achieve. And of course, as you go through the story, you know certain characters will interact a certain way. But I think firmly from beginning to end, all of them are going to feel very templated. All of them are going to feel very cookie cutter. And that's one of the biggest drawbacks that's hindering my interest in this game. Now, maybe the story is on just such a scale that the villains can carry it without that interaction. Maybe they have written the story in such a way that the family element plays a much bigger part where they don't need to focus on the individual character stories, but they can only focus on it as a story. But I find that hard to imagine if you choose to play as Batgirl for the entire game, which you can do, that Batgirl is going to have a satisfying beginning, middle, and end. It's going to, it's, it's really going to hold it back. Now, the other aspect that they did clarify, and I was right about this, is the fact that the weapons, there's visual effects on the weapons, and I pointed out this during uh, my discussion in a previous podcast episode we ran. The big thing is that the visual effects tell you what damage type you have on your weapons. So, you do get to know feedback, and then also, it seems, on the enemies... They will maybe have some sort of visual elements that lets you know what they are resistant against. Because this article does say uh, there's ways for the player to receive signs of feedback. Quote, that lets them know what protection they have, what they're going to use against their enemies, both in terms of ranged and melee attacks. Uh, again, the fact that they're resorting to status effects. So you deal fire damage or lightning damage or shock damage. I'm not crazy about that. It does seem like it bleeds more into the numbers game than the actual complexity of combat that we are used to. So there's, if you if 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 it wasn't already obvious, which it absolutely should be, I'm very cautious about this game. Now, the one exciting thing that I will say is that the open world is very true to that. They say a living citizenry who travel to work or the local grocery store, add traffic congestion, or run home from the train station. There is multiple criminal factions, the GCPD, and of course the Batman Rogues Gallery, who, as much as the Knights, are having to reinvent themselves in the wake of their nemesis's death. So the fact that Batman, Batman is dead in this game does add interesting bits to the story and I hope see I wish that it was told from Robin's perspective right you could do the entire thing from and you could include the Bat family and have sections of the game that are playable as Batwing or playable as as Red Hood 
But if it was Robin's story, I think that would make for a much more compelling narrative. Or if it was Nightwing, Nightwing would probably be even more interesting because he arguably is the closest to Batman. I mean, they all are, but I just find the the dynamic between Nightwing, who went off on his own, uh, versus Robin, who's still technically under training. I, I think that Nightwing would be the most interesting character to play the story as. As for exploration goes, the Knights will explore this world by grapple or bat cycle. Battling baddies and gradually finding evidence, major clues that point to the larger storyline, the next chapter of the larger mystery. And they'll uncover new threats that has its roots in the very foundation of Gotham's history, the Court of Owls. So once again, the games is going to very heavily rely on making sure that you... Uh, it's going to be very heavily reliant on the world itself. It's going to be a Gotham story rather than a character story. So how is Gotham responding to the absence of its heroes? And at the centerpiece are these characters that I don't think are going to get the attention or the uh, the detail or the characterization that they deserve. That's my biggest fear, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about all of this. Again, down in the comment section below. But that does it for our... Oh, actually one last thing. Villain crimes will play out over multiple nights. So this doesn't take place in one night like the Arkham games does. A series of encounters. This is There's specific villain crimes that you go out and you have to solve these villain crimes. Uh, they say that they take place over multiple nights, a series of encounters where the player has to do a certain amount of legwork and detective work to hunt down the villain at the next major confrontation. So I'm excited about this chain of events following clues. I think that if they put in Riddler, they can finally do him correctly, especially if it's supposed to be some detective work. And I hope they do play into the detective. I want some genuine puzzles to, I want to genuinely feel like I'm doing actual detective work. That's the idea, but who knows if we'll actually see that. We'll have to wait to see more of the game before we come to that conclusion. Anyway, that's all I have for this show. I hope that you guys enjoyed. Again, sorry, there's no there's no Bethesda stuff to talk about. Um, nothing interesting, at least nothing new, newsworthy, uh, or that's worth your time, which is a bit unfortunate. But hey, it'll come eventually, and when it does, I'm very excited that we'll just get plowed with things that I'll have weeks upon weeks upon weeks to talk about all the way up until the final launch of the game, which is what I think will definitely happen regarding Starfield. And I'm excited for that. I think that's definitely what the game deserves. I think that Starfield, especially as a new IP and especially as something that fans have been waiting for regarding a single player experience, this is going to do the game justice. Even the people, you could look at, there's some polls on Reddit. So one of my favorites actually right now on Reddit is someone who said, okay, uh, when it does finally get revealed, what's going to be your first reaction? And the most popular is, well, let's see what it's about, followed by about damn time Bethesda, and then in third place, uh, woo, let's go, and fourth place, cries and happiness, it's finally here. Um, but a large majority, 344 compared to the second place, 267, um, those two options are looking at it cautiously, but I think that when the game does finally get revealed, especially with how much anticipation is behind it, when they do that full-on reveal, those people saying, well, let's see what it's about, they're going to change because we're going to know what it's about. Or, for example, those who are saying about damn time Bethesda, I think that tone is quickly going to change when they see the game and they see exactly what it is and they realize that this is a true Bethesda game. A lot of people don't believe that, even though Bethesda said it, it is a true Bethesda-style RPG experience, what you've come to expect from Bethesda. Even though Bethesda has said that, and it's come from Pete Hines, and it's come from Todd Howard, 
people don't readily believe that. And I understand it. I don't agree with it, but I do understand that people feel that way. So again, those that are saying about damn time, I think that will, uh, that will cease to happen because we will have this big, big, big reveal. So thank you guys so much for watching. I hope you enjoyed. And again, let me know your feedback on the podcast as a whole. And I hope to see you all next time. So long, everybody.